Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney here, the host of How They Love Mary. When I was a teenager, I read True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And when I say read, I mean, I read the words on the page, but I didn't understand every word he was trying to say. As a priest and a Marian theologian, many people have asked me to clarify the teachings of St. Louis de Montfort from True Devotion to Mary. I'm happy to share that I've released a new book with Ave Maria Press, called Behold the Handmaid of the Lord, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. This book explains the basic teachings of this great Marian saint and writer and helps us to understand what he's trying to teach and to know the person of Mary better. Before you consecrate yourself to Jesus through Mary with St. Louis de Montfort's method, Learn his theology with this new book. You can buy it at AveMariaPress.com. And when you do so, you'll save when you use the code BEHOLD at checkout. Hello, I'm Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. One of the things that I've realized in the pro-life movement over the number of years that I've been involved in it is that the rosary and Marian devotion is central to the Catholic pro-life movement. And today I am speaking with one of the pioneers of the pro-life movement here in the United States and in fact around the world, Father Frank Pavone, who is the National Director of the Priests for Life and Missionaries of the Gospel of Life President. He's originally from New York, ordained in 1988 by Cardinal John O'Connor and has dedicated his entire life in ministry to ending abortion. He sat by the bedside of Terry Schiavo as she was dying and was an outspoken advocate for her life. I've met Father Pavone on a number of occasions, uh, especially at the Catholic Marketing Network, and happy to have this conversation with him today about Mary and the pro-life movement. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Father Frank Pavone. Father Looney, it's so good to be with you, and uh, this is a topic dear to my heart as well. I'm so glad that you're uh, addressing it, so thanks for having me on. So you were ordained back in 1988, and uh, that's uh, you know a year before I was born, actually. So anyways... <laughs> Immediately, you know, typically when I was ordained a priest in 2015, I was assigned a parochial vicar at a parish, and then I was assigned as a pastor. But for you, you've really been engaged in this lifelong priestly ministry of a specialized ministry in promoting life and helping to end abortion. So how did you become so passionate about ending abortion and and, uh, the pro-life movement? Well, Father, it started in high school, actually, when I heard about the March for Life in Washington. Now, as we know, Roe v. Wade was handed down in 1973. That legalized abortion throughout pregnancy. And then the pro-life movement really kicked into high gear. So I heard about this March for Life in D.C. So in 1976, I went uh, to the March for Life. And seeing the crowd there standing up for the unborn and, and, and praying and calling for a change in our public policy, 
policy really inspired me. That's when it began, and I, I got involved in the pro-life movement locally. At the very same time, I was interested in in uh, the priesthood. I started to to sense my my vocation, so I went into seminary right after high school. Uh, and so my my preparation for the priesthood and my involvement in pro-life grew hand in hand. Uh, I was ordained, as you mentioned, in '88. I did have a parish assignment. Uh, right when I was ordained, but I, my involvement at that point in the pro-life movement was so strong that after a few years of parish work, which I really enjoyed, I came to the point where I was convinced that I was being called to work full-time to defend the unborn and to end abortion. So at that point, of course, I had to ask the cardinal uh, his permission. I, and I went to him, and, I, and of course, he was, as you know, a, a tremendous pro-life advocate himself. Uh, he was, for him, this was the number one issue of the day. And so when I went to him and I asked permission to make my, my uh, pro-life work my full-time ministry, uh, he graciously uh, gave me that permission. That was 1993, and I've been doing it ever since. And didn't Cardinal John O'Connor, he founded the Sisters of Life, is that right? So we really do see yes. his passion for the pro-life movement and the establishment of that religious community. What do you know about the Sisters of Life? The Sisters of Life, of course, uh, is, uh, actually they started at the very same time as Priests for Life started. And uh, they are committed to the defense of human life as their special charism, aside from, of course, the evangelical councils, which every religious uh, man and woman profess. Uh, the Sisters of Life have this special uh, commitment to defend the sanctity of life. They do it in a particular way by helping pregnant moms to uh, go through their pregnancy, uh, saying yes to life, and by helping those who are wounded by abortion to find the healing and peace of Christ. And that's a big, a big part of our Priests for Life ministry as well. Plus, the sisters, of course, as we do too, educate people about the connections between being pro-life and the tenets of our faith, because there are very, very deep uh, and important connections. You mentioned that healing of post-abortive women, and there's a lot of wounds there, sometimes this great trauma that they have. I know that you're involved with Rachel's Vineyard, which is this post-abortive healing ministry. So what kind of words would you offer to a woman who might find herself in this state after an abortion, wanting to seek healing, of course, through the sacrament of reconciliation, she can go, or he, you know, if the man helped to facilitate the abortion, but how can individuals find healing uh, from abortion? Yes, Father, that's such an important question. Let me share with you the words that I that I say in in the homilies that I give on abortion throughout the country uh, and around the world. I, I I look at the congregation and I say this, brothers and sisters, understand that we who reject abortion do not reject those who have had abortions, but rather we embrace them with the mercy, the love, the peace and forgiveness of Christ, whether they have had one or two or five or 10. I've even ministered to people who have had as many as 25 abortions. Even they, upon repenting of their sins, can and will be welcomed back to the mercy of Christ. So no one should despair. We are not against you. We are on your side. So, Father, in a nutshell, that's the message we have to the people who are hurt uh, today 
because they had an abortion in the past. How can they find healing? You mentioned Rachel's Vineyard. I'm privileged to serve as the pastoral director of this ministry throughout the whole world, which conducts about a thousand retreats a year uh, in dozens of countries. It's mostly in the United States. And uh, the retreats are based on the Word of God, on the sacraments of the church, and on the solid psychological research that Dr. Teresa Burke, uh, who's one of our pastoral associates here at Priests for Life, and others have done. The um, uh, way that people can find not only these retreats, but as you know, there are many, many multifaceted uh, and different kinds of ministries for healing after abortion. But one place people can go to find all of them is uh, the website abortionforgiveness.com. We actually set that website up. It integrates a number of different search engines, and people will be able to find Rachel's Vineyard Retreats, other, other ministries for individual counseling, Bible studies for those that have had abortions, and a lot more. So abortionforgiveness.com, and really everyone needs to know, again, we're on your side. You're not alone uh, and your abortion does not define you. We, we, we know that abortion is evil, but that doesn't mean that the person who's had an abortion uh, needs to consider herself as evil or that she, you know, she can never be loved by God anymore. Uh, you know, those, are, those are the temptations of the devil. Uh, the reality is Jesus Christ and, and we, uh, in the name of Jesus, reach into that darkness and we want to lift her up and give her healing and hope. October is the month of the Holy Rosary, but also it receives the designation of Respect Life Month. Of course, I think we often associate Respect Life with the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and the March for Life that happens in Washington, D.C., but here we have October as this Respect Life Month. Do you know how this came about that October received this designation for us to focus on? Well, there were a number of factors, but uh, you know, one of them, of course, is that October is is the month prior to our national elections uh, in the United States, and one of the one of the dimensions of pro life from the very beginning, and one of the pastoral priorities uh, of the church is to uh, is to shape public policy, uh, and, and, and so that's one of the one of the pieces of the puzzle uh, that people uh, would be prepared then uh, thinking in terms of life as the, as the church has always taught, the fundamental issue, morally and politically too, as the bishops have said, we must start with the intention never to deliberately kill the innocent. Um, but like you say, it's a beautiful, also uh, a, a beautiful uh, uh, connection too uh, with uh, our, our Lady, because the Feast of the Rosary, uh, the Rosary is one of the most common devotions in the pro-life movement. And I have seen it over all these years, people praying the rosary in front of abortion clinics, people praying the rosary on their own and in their churches for the intention of being able to say, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Looking at Mary as the one who welcomed life, even though she didn't expect it, and uh, nevertheless said fiat, it's not my choice. Oh God, it's your choice that matters. This new life I welcome because you have decided it and I know you're going to take care both of me and of the baby. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful uh, connection there that we always make in Respect Life Month uh, with our, our Blessed Mother. 
Not only do we have that prayer that comes to us from Elizabeth in the sacred scripture, but even some of the rosary mysteries, especially the joyful ones, have that dimension of of human life. So the announcement of the birth of Jesus. And so the fact that Jesus is conceived in the womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, life begins at conception. The visitation, how the two infants meet in the womb and John the Baptist leaps for joy. There is life in the womb to the nativity of our Lord in Bethlehem, that he is born there. And so we pray all children will be born, uh, the presentation, offering that child to God. And so we really do have the pro-life message, in a sense, in the, in those rosary mysteries. You've done some work with the rosary and pro-life meditation. So how can we connect the pro-life movement to some of the other mysteries of the rosary as well? Yes, Father. So we have a website called Pro-Life Prayers. Uh, com. And among the many prayers there, uh, you will find rosary meditation. So let's think, for example, uh, the, the, the glorious mysteries. Of course, the resurrection is the victory of life itself. And so we reflect on that. The kingdom of death has been conquered already. And so we live in this already but not yet uh, mode right now where we know what the final victory is. And that's where we have great confidence in doing pro-life work. In the ascension, we reflect on the fact that human nature, the same human nature held uh, uh, by the unborn child, has been exalted to the very throne of God. And that's where we're destined to go. Uh, We can't proclaim that hope of humanity and at the same time ignore ignore it when that same human nature is being thrown in the garbage by abortion. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. He enlightens us as to the value of creation, including human life. Um, and of course, the assumption of Mary, again, we see, I always reflect there, that the destiny of mother and child are intertwined. So the church, of course, uh, as you know so well, We're not saying that Mary has some kind of glory uh, uh, that is independent of Jesus Christ. It's precisely derived from Jesus Christ. She's assumed into heaven because he's her son, and he has conquered the victory, and he uh, conquered uh, the death, and he shares the victory with his mother first. But the point is, too, that when we look at mother and child in the context of abortion, we always say, you can't hurt one without hurting the other. You destroy that child, you're destroying that mother too. And you help that mother, as the pregnancy centers do, and you're helping that child. So the destiny of mother and child being intertwined is a beautiful and, and, and strong truth in the pro-life movement, and it's reflected in the, uh, in the assumption of Mary. Uh, in her coronation, of course, the dignity of women, the greatest creature, uh, is a woman, the queen of the universe. Uh, so many, many connections that we can make with all the mysteries. But again, at ProLifePrayers.com, people will be uh, able to uh, see and pray along with these meditations. We mentioned the rosary as being one of the common forms of prayer uh, for the pro-life vigils that people keep outside of abortion clinics, especially during uh, the 40 Days for Life movement as people go there throughout the year to pray outside the clinics. Uh, The rosary is often seen in people's hands. Sometimes, though, we see another image of the Blessed Mother, really this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, this Marian apparition received by Juan Diego, Uh, is really an iconic image of the pro-life movement. What's the connection there between Our Lady of Guadalupe and the pro-life movement? 
It's a beautiful connection. This, of course, is the image of Mary where she herself is pregnant. And uh, she uh, appeared to Juan Diego in the midst of a culture of the Aztec uh, Indians where they were, dis they had a theology of despair. They, they were trying to placate uh, the gods, keep them from destroying them uh, by, by, by practicing human sacrifice. And I always point out that uh, the, um, the, the, the image of Mary there as pregnant is saying to the people, and this image, as you know, converted millions of these Aztecs without the help of missionaries. The image itself converted them. Why? Because now all the symbolism of that image was saying to the people, God is with you. This Mary there is, is actually bowing in, in adoration and prayer to the child in her womb who is God-made man. And therefore, the message is contradicting the despair of the Aztecs who say, oh, God is against us. He's going to destroy us. No, Our Lady of Guadalupe is saying, God is now with you. He's going to bless you. And you no longer need to despair. You can have hope. And it's that hope that allows us to say yes to life. So that's why the, the practice of human sacrifice there among the Aztecs ended, because hope replaced despair. They realized they didn't have to shed blood in order to please God. And now Our Lady's image is, again, as you said, often part of the pro-life effort, as that image is actually taken in front of abortion facilities nationwide and worldwide. And I've lost count of the number of times I've prayed in front of uh, an abortion facility with that image of Our Lady. I'll tell you, Father, one time uh, the abortionist himself and the clinic director came out of the facility to see that image close up. And I remember the clinic director actually putting her hand on Our Lady's image and just saying to me, how beautiful, how beautiful. Who knows the work of grace uh, uh, that, 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 that can take place, even in these people who are so immersed in evil, so immersed in, in deception, uh, and nevertheless, Our Lady, as we know, can break through that. She definitely is the mother of life, as we see through that image. And, and hearts were converted in the time of Juan Diego, and they can still be converted today, as you just shared. And one of the things we notice, I think, in the pro-life movement is that, and rightfully so, we emphasize the ending of abortion, because this is really a great crime against humanity. So many children are, are taken every single day by abortion. And so it's kind of the preeminent pro-life issue. But in your biography, you were present at the bedside of Terry Schiavo. And I remember this story. I was in high school. I, I remember we had a debate class or something like that. And I took up the position that Terry Schiavo's life was worth living, that she didn't mm. deserve to be uh, have her life support removed and such. So this is another spectrum of the pro-life movement. Not only do we focus on the beginning, but we're focusing on the end of someone's life. And that's what we pray in the Hail Mary, for example, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. But with the story of Terry Schiavo and so many others who have lost their fight for life because of the courts and such, uh, how, how can you speak to someone that thinks that this person really doesn't deserve to live? They have no brain function. Their quality of life isn't there. Um, how can we convert hearts against the idea of really pulling the plug and instead allowing that person to live? 
You know, I, I pointed out in the midst of my involvement in that case, and I was involved in it, Father, because the family came to me. Uh, they knew of our Priest for Life ministry, and they felt that I could help to make Terry's story known. Uh, they came to me several years before uh, she actually died. And uh, as I was advocating for her, I pointed out to people that Terry would not be in that danger, and she would not ultimately have been killed had not tens of millions of unborn babies been killed before her. Because the mistake is the same. That choice trumps life. That, that because somebody doesn't want this life anymore because they think it's less valuable for whatever reason, that therefore the law can say, well, it's okay to kill that life. Well, that's what happens obviously with the unborn by abortion. In the case of Terry, it was her estranged husband who argued before uh, the court that, uh, look, she didn't want to live this way and I don't think that we should uh, keep her alive. What people have to understand is that Terry didn't have any terminal disease. She wasn't dying. The reason she died was that we no longer fed her. We didn't feed her or give her any water to drink. And that was the explicit order of the court. You cannot give her so much as a drop of water. When I was in her room, um, the, 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 the police officer, there were actually police officers surrounding her bed. It was the most bizarre scene in the world. You had this dying woman dehydrating to death. And the reason the officers were surrounding her bed was to prevent me or anyone else in the room from giving her a drop of water. I mean, it was just absolutely absurd. I believe that this, these events like Terry Shiva, the eyes of the world, were on that, that, uh, that story. Um, the irony was <laughs> all the cameras from around the world were, 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 were camped out, all the media outlets outside of that hospice, and nobody could see what was happening because they didn't let anyone in the room except a few of us who were on the approved visitors list. But in any case, the, um, I think the very, the very uh, existence of these kinds of stories is what can wake people up. Because a lot of people did wake up uh, during that as a result of that, that incident. And they say, wow, have we really come this far that we would take a healthy woman? Yes, she was brain damaged. But she was healthy in the sense that she wasn't. She didn't have any disease. She didn't. Wasn't dying. She could have lived a long life because her mom, her dad, her siblings wanted to take care of her. It was her estranged husband that said no. But she could have lived a a, a, a long life, and uh, instead, she was killed by court order. Literally killed by court order. And when things get that pronounced. That people say, are you kidding? Is that really what happened? Uh, you mean she wasn't attached to any machines? No, she wasn't. She wasn't on life support? No, she wasn't. Um, it, she was literally killed by court order. Then people can begin to start assessing, you know, what is the role of the court? What is the role of the law? What is the role of government? Are we supposed to be throwing life away? Or are we supposed to say with St. John Paul II, as he says in, in the Gospel of Life, life is always a good. Always even when it's unexpected in the womb, even when it is more dependent outside the womb, it's always a good. And that's the beautiful lesson that, Father, I think we, we show people best the truth of that teaching, not only by teaching it, but by going out of our way to serve and to help and to care for the vulnerable people in our lives. That, that's the love that, that, that Terry's brother and sister and mom and dad were showing 
That's what convinces the world. Why are these people spending so much time uh, with their loved one who's disabled, who maybe can't even speak? Uh, why are they caring for, for, for her so much? Why are they doing this? And it's that expression of love that I think is at the basis of um, building the culture of life and converting people to pro-life. As a priest, I've seen beautiful witnesses of families that have taken care of severely handicapped children. Uh, one family in one of my former parishes, the kid should not be alive. The the doctors say this, and I, I'm not sure if the child is still alive, but when I was there, you know, several years old, and, and they said the only reason this kid can be alive is because of the love that the parents are giving the child. And I see it again in another family that has a child similar in that sense, and I think that's a beautiful pro-life witness, that they have gone to yes. extraordinary means to nurture and to nourish this life that they brought into this world. And, you know, many people probably would have told them you should have aborted the child, but here they are raising that child, and that child can bring smiles to faces. And I see social media posts where people are commenting, oh, that's so wonderful what you did with, you know, your son or daughter today and, and all that. So it's really giving a message that life is worth living no matter what life it is. Right, no matter what, yes. And you know, Father, you mentioned about the, the 40 Days for Life vigils that have begun. I was privileged to help uh, grow that movement from a local to a national effort. And there's where you see the same dynamic. You know, it's like people, you know, people in these communities will kind of scratch their heads and say, why are these people coming out in the heat, in the cold, in all hours of the day and night? What is it that's motivating them? And if we can do things, whether it's within the family, showing that love, whether it's out on the sidewalk, praying uh, for the babies scheduled to be killed at these facilities, either way, we're making people ask that question. What's, what's, what's motivating these people? And it's, a, it's an expression of that love for a life that is, is in danger, but is well worth protecting. You mentioned the courts just a few moments ago, and right now in Texas, there was this law that really limits abortion uh, to the point of once a heartbeat is detected, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so yes. my understanding is there's going to be this huge Supreme Court case coming up. It's going to be heard in December. Uh, that could eventually, ultimately, overturn Roe versus Wade. This is the moment the pro-life movement has been waiting for. Uh, what can we expect as the courts hear this case? It's a very important case. Uh, I, I'm very involved each day in the, in the, in the uh, progress of this case. You know, it's, it asks a very fundamental question, um, and that is, is it unconstitutional, okay, to protect a baby in the womb prior to the point of viability. Now, the reason that, that, that the, that's the question the court is looking at is because this is how the courts have acted up to now. Based on Roe v. Wade, they've said, well, we, we can't let the states protect the babies prior to viability. Viability is a completely arbitrary drawing line to, to say whether a baby should or shouldn't be protected. There's nothing in the Constitution about it. Uh, there's no basis for it, either constitutionally or medically. Um, but this case now has the capability, if the, if the justices decide it the right way, of really empowering the states, like Texas, as you mentioned, and Mississippi, from which this case arose, to protect 
the unborn more than they've ever been protected before. Um, what we've always seen is that the more the courts allow the states to act in favor of life and in favor of the unborn, the more the states do act. So in other words, it's not like, uh, oh, the country is, you know, has this extreme abortion policy because the country wants it. We don't want it. The courts have literally tied the hands of the states and, and said, you cannot go any farther than this in, in regulating or prohibiting abortion. This case can make the difference. It can put the matter back into the hands of the states. And if it does, we're going to see a lot more states do what Mississippi and Texas are doing in, in saying, okay, look, we believe that we should protect these babies. So the people of the state, through their elected representatives, through their elected governor, are going to uh, bestow that protection. And uh, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've read the briefs that have been submitted to the court. There are fantastic uh, arguments about, you know, so much has changed since Roe v. Wade, including how much we know about the baby from science, uh, including the evidence of how abortion harms uh, uh, women, and not, not to mention, of course, the baby, and, 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 and how, you know, the pregnancy, and this, of course, goes back to our, our, our blessed mother as an example, the fact that someone is pregnant unexpectedly does not mean in our society today that she cannot be a meaningful, productive, engaged uh, uh, member of society and fulfill her dreams. Pregnancy does not stand in the way of that. And uh, the court shouldn't pretend that it does uh, and, and therefore come swooping in with this so-called benefit of, uh, of abortion. People have been advocating and petitioning and, you know, protesting abortion for so long, so petitioning against it, advocating against it in the pro-life movement. I know there was a, a young woman that I am friends with that one day said, you know, I need to become more involved in the pro-life movement. Always went to the March for Life every year and finally said, I need to get involved. I'm going to volunteer with Pro-Life Wisconsin. I'm going to go to more things and be a part of the movement to really try to secure an end to abortion. We can help to do this spiritually. You know, I love that little prayer. I think it was Fulton Sheen maybe that promoted it, the spiritual adoption prayer, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, right. I love you very much. I beg you to save the life of the unborn child I've spiritually adopted. So that's one way. Right. Spiritually adopt a child. Pray the rosary for an end to abortion. But how else can people get involved uh, in the pro-life movement? Well, Father, let me give them a couple of couple of resources. First of all, prayercampaign.org is a, is a site that we run that, that takes uh, different times of the year, different seasons of the year, different feast days of the year, and has pro-life novenas leading up to those special days. And these are prayer campaigns that, again, people can integrate into their lives in many, many different ways. Uh, action. Uh, there's always legislation percolating in the Congress, either for or against abortion, and people should be informed and should call their elected representatives, not only in Washington, but on the state level too, and stopabortionnow.org is a place where they can go and sign up for action alerts, so that when there's a pending legislation, for example, we'll send out an email and we'll say, okay, 
call, please call your senators, call your representative, here's the message to leave, and people can feel like they really have, you know, engaged the issue at the right time and with the right message. So stopabortionnow.org. And then, of course, there is the, uh, uh, the, the very, very important matter of being able to say to someone who is pregnant and in need what they, what they can do to find alternatives to abortion. And there's a very important resource called PregnancyCenters.org. And at that website, people can find, wherever they live, the, the pregnancy center nearest to them that will counsel, encourage, and connect a person with the help they need to say yes to that baby with, within them. So PregnancyCenters.org. People also need to read the stories and spread the stories of those that have had abortions and have come through the pain and have come through the healing. And we have a campaign called Silent No More where uh, people give their testimonies. And as you know, this is part of evangelization. The gospel is spread as people share the stories of God's intervention in their lives. We see this in the gospels. We see it throughout Christian history. And we see it today as men and women who have lost children to abortion are speaking out. Uh, and saying, hey, this was the wrong thing to do, but Jesus forgave me, he can forgive you too. Uh, and so getting these stories and spreading them can be one of the most uh, effective ways of getting involved in the pro-life movement and it convincing other people about it. And those you can find at abortiontestimonies.com, abortiontestimonies.com. And finally, Father, you know, I mean, there's so many other things, but, uh, you know, one of the things I've always found most effective is to challenge those who are in favor of abortion. Uh, we may come in contact with them or be having one-on-one -on -one conversations to challenge them to look at what they are defending. You know, this is something that, you know, when you look at the politicians and whatnot, you know, they, oh, yeah, legal abortion, it's a good thing. You know, they never describe what they defend. They never describe it. They, they use euphemisms, they use abstract language, but, but really, you know, you get down to the basic question, what is an abortion? And, and all challenging, because it actually shows what an abortion is, and it, and it gives the descriptions that the very people that are performing it, the abortion, abortionists, uh, 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 explain what it is. So um, look at abortion.org can be a powerful tool for people to use to challenge those in their lives, privately or publicly, who, uh, who think abortion is a good thing. Well, thanks so much today, Father Frank, for joining me, for talking about Mary's role in the pro-life movement. One of the things uh, I've noticed, and uh, many people know of my work with the Shrine in Champion, Wisconsin, how I've written extensively and theologically reflected about that Marian apparition that occurred here in 1859 in my home state of Wisconsin. I live 20 minutes from there. I assist with confessions and fill in on an as-needed basis there. And uh, Mary spoke a message there, and she said, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners, and I wish you to do the same. And so really, I think that message Mary spoke to Adele is one that can speak to the pro-life movement, that we pray for the conversion of sinners, that we pray for the conversion of the hearts of the abortion doctors, that we pray for the conversion of individuals, that they realize that life is a gift and worth living and not something that should be taken away, that hearts will be converted by the power of the gospel of life. And so you've done so much to proclaim that gospel of life. You've written several books, Ending Abortion, Not Just Fighting It, Pro-Life, Reflections for Every Day, Abolishing Abortion, and Proclaiming the Message of Life. And so if people want to learn more about Priest for Life and your work, Father Frank, how can they do that? 
Uh, Father, they can go to endabortion.us. That's our main website. And all the other things we've been talking about and all the other uh, websites I've been giving, they can find everything uh, from that page, starting from that page, endabortion.us. And, and they can sign up for alerts and updates and so forth. We look forward to people connecting with our ministry. And I've been keeping a tally list of all the URLs you've given so that I can put all these links in the show notes. And thanks so much for your time today, Father Pavone. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure too for me. And thanks, Father, for your great ministry. And, and God bless you as you help people understand the role of our, of our beloved Blessed Mother. God bless you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.